All right, great to see everybody this morning. Always encouraging as we celebrate as a church together during this season of Advent. I hope you have a Bible in front of you. If you don't, feel free to grab one in the back. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to keep the Bible in the back as our gift to you. Make your way to Luke chapter 1. We are going to be in verses 39 through 45 today. Luke 1, 39 through 45. And in our text today, we're going to see the most amazing introduction. And I wonder when you hear that, when you hear me say an amazing introduction, what comes to mind for you? What's an amazing introduction maybe you've witnessed, right? Maybe for you, it was at a concert, maybe of your favorite artist or band, And when that artist comes out on the stage and they introduce themselves right before the beat drops and it's awesome, right? Or maybe an amazing introduction you've witnessed if you're a sports fan like me, one of your favorite athletes or maybe your favorite team, the stadium's like pulsating with anticipation. Maybe the song that they're always introduced to comes on and it's awesome when they introduce Michael Jordan, number 23 from North Carolina, or maybe a little uh, Metallica theme song before your football team runs out of the tunnel, right? Whatever it is, think of an amazing introduction. And whatever amazing introduction comes to mind for you, in our text today, by the time we're done, I hope you'll see that it's nothing compared to what we're going to see today. Those are only like appetizers of introductions of what we're going to see today. Because the introduction that we're going to see today is so humble and so glorious that it demands our attention and our worship. It's an introduction that all of the promises of the Old Testament were anticipating. It's an introduction that points us to the source of joy for every longing heart. So the aim or the argument we're going to see together from our text today is this, a life of true blessing is a life that's marked by belief and joy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So please follow along with me now with your Bible open in front of you. I'm going to read aloud for us Luke 1, 39 through 45. This is God's word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy." And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. All right, let's go to the Lord together in prayer before we begin. Father, we praise you for Jesus, that he is filled with grace and truth. By your spirit and through your word, fix our hearts on Jesus today. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to see three things in our text today. First is the setting. 
Second is the sign. And lastly, we're going to see the response. So first, the setting. Look down at how verse 39 starts. In those days. So that flows right out of what we looked at last week, right? Where the angel Gabriel announced to Mary, she is going to give birth to the Messiah, to the king. So just look back at verses 39 through 38. I want it ringing in our ears and in our hearts as we move into 39. Just listen. And behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So just imagine again, we heard it last week, but imagine again the context, the backdrop for our text. Mary is a young teenager from the country, from of all places, Nazareth. And what good can come from Nazareth, right? It's probably like how people in Lake Oswego feel about Gresham, right? That's where Mary's from. Okay, let's be honest, right? And then Mary hears this amazing word from the angel. There had to be lots of excitement, but also lots of questions in her heart, right? So then right after Mary hears that amazing announcement from the angel of God, what does she do with all of this, right? That's the movement that brings us into our text today. So verse 39 and 40 tell us what she's going to do with it, and it sets the scene. Again, just hear it. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So don't miss it. Did Mary just kind of go to see Elizabeth? No. God's word says she went with haste. She hurried to her relative's house. And her relative's house, Elizabeth's house, was like 80 to 100 miles away. So that means in those days, that was probably like a three or four day journey that she went with with haste, right? So the Virgin Mary is newly pregnant with the Son of God. And she hurries to go visit with Elizabeth, who the angel had just told her, yeah, your old relative Elizabeth, who was known as the barren one, well, she's six months pregnant, right? So like, what a scene. I know this is familiar to us, but we can't miss like the glory and the grandeur and the wonder of it. So the news from the angel was amazing and mind-blowing, right? Mary had to be thinking like, why me? that had to just blow her mind in some kind of way. Again, she's young, she's uneducated, she's lower class, maybe to right up to the edge of middle class, right? From a super, very unimportant place. How can any of this be true, right? But she believed, look back at verse 38, right? She believed and she beautifully submitted herself to God's will. But Mary's human, (laughs) 
She's made of the same stuff we are, isn't she? So like you have to ask, why did Mary go see Elizabeth? Why does she travel 80 to 100 miles, a three or four day journey as a young teenage girl who's newly pregnant? Why? And the reason why is it's like the angel knew that Mary would need encouragement and confirmation after the news she had just been told, right? So it wasn't by accident that the angel told her, hey, Elizabeth, she's pregnant for six months, right? So then Mary took action on that word from the angel and she left to go see Elizabeth. Well, why? Because she needed confirmation and encouragement, didn't she? Like confirmation in her faith, of what she was just told. Is what I was just told true? Or am I going crazy? And so she leaves on a long journey, right? She needed confirmation of God's word to her through God's people. Because just like for her, just like for us, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, is it? It's the strength of the object of our faith. So Mary was not perfect. She needed confirmation and encouragement to really believe, right, in a deep kind of way the word she had just heard. So she leaves with haste to see someone who was similar to her, right, someone who's pregnant like her, pregnant in a miraculous kind of way, in a lesser miraculous way, but still miraculous, but someone who's really different than her, like someone who's a lot older than her. She didn't send a text message to a, to a peer, someone in her age group, to confirm what she wanted to believe. She took action to go see someone different than her, older than her. And I just want to like draw this out for us. This has just been hitting me this week. There's an application for us in this. If Mary needed confirmation to strengthen and encourage her faith in God's word, each of us do right? So like, I wonder what does that dynamic look like for you in your life, right? Because you need your strength, your faith strengthened and confirmed and affirmed too. And I bet if you're anything like me, I bet the confirmation you really need will often come from someone who's a little bit different than you are. I bet that's the case, whether it be socioeconomically, ethnically, generationally, someone who's different than you. Probably someone who's walked with Jesus longer than you have is what you need to have your strength, your faith strengthened. So as I've been thinking about this and how this applies to us like corporately as a church, I hope you'd agree with me like we need one another in this walk of faith, don't we? We need one another to really trust God's word. Is it true? Can I believe it, right? Can I bank my life on it? And that's not a flaw that we need the encouragement of other people to follow Jesus. It's a design feature. It's how God has designed his people to work. It, what comes to mind is Hebrews chapter 10, right? Verses 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So think about the dynamic we see here in Luke 1. 
and then think about this need for our faith to be strengthened by one another. And like, that's what we do here every week. I told a few people this last week, it hit me last week during church. Like, this is really weird. (laughs) We all gather to sing songs every week, to hear God's word open to us, to partake of the Lord's supper and to fellowship together. That's weird, (laughs) right? Like, it's not like a business we're trying to grow market share with some like new product to have people come. It's weird. And it's good that it's weird and we need each other to help strengthen each other to trust and follow Jesus, right? And to drive this point home even a little more like specifically, do you know one really important, really specific way we do that in one another's lives every week? It's when we sing. When you hear your brothers and sisters in Christ sing songs that are filled with words of truth and grace and beauty about who our God is, right? When the main instrument we hear in our worship service is one another's voices, like that has to do something to you, right? Doesn't that strengthen your faith? And I'm sure for you, like for me, one of my favorite things is on most Sundays, right? We have a song before the sermon and I stand here or here and I hear all your voices behind me. And I know, not all, but I know some of you and what you've been going through lately and you are singing those songs from your heart, because you trust Jesus. You know he's good. Even when it doesn't make sense, you know he's good and you sing those songs. Doesn't that like do something to us as a body? That strengthens our faith. It's how God designed it because we need one another to trust and follow Jesus together. So let me ask you today if I can put it in these words. Who is your Elizabeth? That person that's maybe older than you that will help encourage and strengthen you in your relationship with Jesus. You need an Elizabeth in your life. Or, and, who is your Mary? Maybe that person that's younger than you, whether in the faith or in age or maybe both, that you can intentionally bring mutual confirmation into one another's lives as you trust and follow Jesus together. So if Mary needed Elizabeth, and Elizabeth needed Mary, so do each of us today, right? So that brings us to our second point. We just saw the setting. Now our second point is the sign. Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, and what does she experience? Just look with me at verses 41 through 44. What's it say? And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So Mary just arrives at Elizabeth's house, right? And she's given a sign. She sees Elizabeth again, who was barren in her old age, but now is obviously pregnant, six months pregnant, right? She can't hide the bump anymore. And when she hears what Elizabeth proclaims, Mary realizes in an even deeper kind of way, what the angel told me is true. It's all true, right? Like just look, look down at verse 41. Elizabeth speaks these words, God's word tells us why. 
because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. So what Elizabeth spoke were the words of God, trustworthy words from God to Mary through Elizabeth, right? And then how did this sound? Like look at verse 42. When it says Mary exclaimed with a loud cry, that literally means with a great cry or shout is what Elizabeth did. She wasn't mumbling. She's exclaiming this. Like this really matters as she's filled with the Holy Spirit. So think about it like this, like all that's going on here in just a short passage of scripture. In that culture at that time and place, age was really, really respected, right? But what happens here? The older woman is honoring the younger woman. Everything is flipped on its head. Everything is turned upside down. So didn't that have to hit Mary? Like again, she's a simple nobody from the country. Why would Elizabeth say it's a privilege to have her come to her house? It's because of who's in her womb, isn't it? Right? It's not about her as much as it's about who's in her womb. For Mary, all of this means is if Elizabeth believes this, right? She's exclaiming this. If, if Elizabeth believes it, it must be true. And then it, she believes it. Mary does in a deeper kind of way because God's good and God confirms his promises through his people so we can trust him and follow him. But then again, we just have to keep asking questions like why? Elizabeth's response was a sign for Mary. I think we could all agree with that, right? But what was the reason for Elizabeth's response, right? The reason Elizabeth said those words is because what was happening inside Elizabeth. Because the baby in Elizabeth's womb was John the Baptist, right? And he, the, our text says in verse 44, he leapt for joy inside of her when the sound of Mary's greetings came to Elizabeth's ears. Isn't that beautiful? And God's word says, Elizabeth then exclaims these amazing blessings again because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. So like, what a greeting. What an introduction to Mary, but ultimately to Jesus. The small person in Mary's womb, Jesus, the son of God. Again, don't miss it. Jesus is only days old at this point in time. The most, maybe a week or two, right? And he is announced, he is recognized, Elizabeth says, as the Lord. Elizabeth, here she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And do you know what she's doing right here? She's picking up on Psalm 110, verse 1, a messianic psalm, and she applies it in her day, in that day, to this little tiny baby, days old in Mary's womb. And why can she do that? Because the same Holy Spirit who inspired Psalm 110 is now filling her to say, this is him. This is Jesus, the one Psalm 10 was promising and pointing to. That Jesus is the Lord, the promised Messiah, the Savior King who will reign forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Like this is really familiar to us but we can't lose the glory of it, right? How does this introduction and sign happen? 
again, like we can't miss it. This introduction happens through another fetus leaping for joy and an old pregnant woman exclaiming these amazing truths as she's filled with the Holy Spirit. What an amazing introduction for Jesus. The Son of God, the creator of the galaxies. John 1 says, the word who became flesh is now growing inside the womb of one of God's creations. Wow. And God's calling attention to it through another fetus and through an old woman. Like what a God, right? This is nothing of human invention. This is the introduction for the Messiah, the Savior, the Shepherd King. And again, how is he introduced? (laughs) Through a fetus and an elderly pregnant woman. Like this isn't just a king. This is like no other kind of king, right? Just the amazingness of there. And just, we can't miss two other characters that are involved. We can't just gloss over it or assume it. First, the Holy Spirit has already been mentioned earlier in Luke 1, right here in our text. This is the third time the Holy Spirit's already been mentioned. The Holy Spirit was spoken about back in the Old Testament, back in Joel chapter 2, when it promised that when the Messiah came, the Spirit would be poured out on all people. And now, at the arrival, at the introduction of King Jesus, who's all involved? The Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead is involved here to introduce God's Son. The Holy Spirit here is focusing the attention on Jesus Christ. And then again, I already mentioned it, but just real quick, who else is mentioned in our text, right? It's John the Baptist, the six-month-old prophet who's in old Elizabeth's womb, right? John the Baptist who leapt for joy inside of his mom. So let's like remember, those of us that are familiar with the Bible, you know this, but we can't gloss over it. What was John the Baptist's job description, right? Like what role did he have on the team? Because John the Baptist, he was prophesied too, all the way back in Malachi chapter four. And then earlier in our text, right here in Luke one, back in verse 15 on, it said that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit and would go before Jesus in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah to make ready a way for the Lord. So just have that in your mind real quick. You don't have to turn there, but John chapter three, verse 29. Listen to what John the Baptist himself says about his role, his role of exalting Jesus. John the Baptist describes himself as the friend of the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Jesus. And John says he stands and hears him, the bridegroom, and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And then seeing Jesus in John chapter three, John says his joy is complete. Now jump back here into Luke one, right? John the Baptist is already doing his job as a six month old fetus. He's a prophet in the womb who's preparing a way for the Lord who leapt for joy inside his mom. Like that's amazing stuff that's happening right here, right? I think you'd have to agree something amazing Something really unique is happening here, right? And there's another application here that this might feel like a 180 degree turn for you. 
but it's really important because we only want to bring out at GVC what's in the text. We don't want to read into the text. We want to draw out of the text what's there, right? So there's something else really important for us to see. Notice again, when did John experience the emotion of joy? When he was in his mother's womb. And that's not metaphorical. That's not verbal gymnastics. He was six months old. John would have probably been like a pound or two, right? He had fingerprints, just like all of us when we were six months old. When he experienced the emotion of joy, when he leapt for joy in his mother's womb, like I bet a smile was on his face, right? If there was imaging technology back then, John the Baptist probably smiled, didn't he? When he leapt for joy. That he was acting, that John the Baptist was acting like a prophet here in the womb, that only affirms his personhood of what he was doing, right? And then Jesus, we can't miss this. Jesus, the Lord, here in our text, again, he's at most only a few weeks old, likely only a few days old in Mary's womb. And the six-month-old fetus, John the Baptist, leaps for joy at Jesus. A six-month-old doesn't leap for joy at a concept or an idea or a potentiality of personhood, right? John the Baptist leapt for joy at the personhood of the Son of God in his mother's womb. Like just, this is amazing stuff right here. And just to prove the point, as we already saw, Elizabeth addresses Jesus in the present tense as the Lord, not someday he will be the Lord. He's the Lord right now, right now in his mother's womb, right? So like, we're just going to call it like it is. We can't avoid what this means. It means, and I'm not trying to sound overly simplistic. There's a lot of things we could talk about, but just right here on the pages of scripture, this means a baby in the womb is a person, doesn't it? There's one person responding to another person. It's right here on the pages of scripture. And honestly, like, tell me a better way to understand it than that, right? Like, that's what's happening here in God's word. This has ethical implications in our day, doesn't it? Implications for the personhood of the unborn and the sanctity of human life. I don't see another way to say it. I'm not bringing politics into the pulpit. We're drawing out what is right on the pages of scripture, okay? We have to take seriously what this is saying about personhood and babies in the womb. Like just to put a point on it, and I'm not trying to sound crass, okay? I'm not trying to like get clicks, right? No hot take. What if Mary had aborted Jesus, right? Like in our day and age, it'd be legal. But our text tells us Jesus was a person John the Baptist was a person and they were interacting with one another in the scene right here in our text. And I, I want you to hear our heart here at GBC, okay? I say this clearly with a lot of conviction and also with a lot of compassion, okay? With lots and lots of grace. I don't know. There could be some of you that maybe have had an abortion. <laughs> maybe your boyfriend talked you into it. Maybe like just the economics of it all, you felt like you had to. Or maybe some of us men, maybe you drove your girlfriend to the abortion clinic. I don't know, okay? God's grace is amazing. There, he covers all of our sins, 
right? He paid for all of them on the cross, including the sin of abortion. So when we talk about this, we're talking about with grace and compassion, right? With grace and with truth. So again, I'm bringing out here what is in God's word and doing it, I pray, as a church family with lots of truth and lots of grace, right? Because this text has to challenge us. It challenges us with the reality of personhood for the unborn. It's unavoidable. So how John and Elizabeth responded to Jesus should move us to consider. Would you say how you think and feel about Jesus lately is the same as Elizabeth does here in our text? Again, just think about it. If a fetus can leap for joy at Jesus in the womb, when was the last time you were captivated by joy at the reality and the grace and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ? When was the last time you were overwhelmed with joy (laughs) simply by the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Right? This text like challenges us in that way. And when I'm saying this, I realize I'm saying it on the second week of Advent. That's about peace. And Advent, right, it has this longing to it. It means we're looking back at the first Advent. We're looking ahead to the second, but we live in the already not yet. We live in a broken world with broken hearts, right? So that means we experience pain in this life. But there's also this joy to Advent when the fullness of it like gets a hold of our hearts and it does something to us. So when Elizabeth leaps for joy and the response of a Christian should be to have joy at who Jesus is and what he's done for you, right? It's not a cheap kind of joy. I don't mean like cotton candy kind of joy, right? I mean a kind of joy that has weight and depth and substance and power to it, right? That's the kind of joy we're talking about as Christians. Because the joy Jesus brings into our lives It's more like the ballast in a ship, right? That keeps a ship stable and secure and on its course, right? That's what the joy of Christ is like in the life of a Christian. I read this recently and wanted to share it with you. Uh, Todd, his sermon title last week brought to mind Lord of the Rings. So I want to further this. In Lord of the Rings, right? There's this moment when the future looks hopeless and bleak kind of like how Advent season can feel sometimes. And Gandalf, he seems to be like crushed under the weight of the world, feels hopeless and bleak. But then suddenly, what does Gandalf do, right? He laughs. And it's revealed that, just listen to this, that despite all the care and sorrow he is experiencing, underneath it all, there is, quote, a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. That's the kind of joy we're talking about that Jesus brings into the life of the Christian. So if you're here today and Jesus isn't the controlling center of your life, if he is not the great joy underneath your joy, let me encourage you to confess and repent that confess and repent of not treasuring treasuring Jesus in the fullness of who he is, of what he deserves with your life. Confess and repent about that. And you know what's amazing when you do that? That's the first step down the path of this kind of joy that we're talking about. 
Because as you confess and repent, you'll start to experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Holy Spirit will start to break into your life slowly but surely, right? And even your sufferings and your disappointments, your trials will be illuminated by the great joy Jesus brings, right? Like when the sun rises over Mount Hood on a cold morning and then everything is bathed in its light. That's the joy Jesus brings into our lives, even into our brokenness, even as we wait in between the first and second advent. Because if Jesus is who Elizabeth said he is, who Mary said he is, who John the Baptist said he is, and who the Holy Spirit said he is, right? What Jesus can't be in your life is just kind of important. He's not here to be your life coach and just help you manage life, right? When you really hear Jesus, like John the Baptist did here, like Elizabeth did, you realize Jesus is not just a part of your life. He's the whole thing, right? And you find your life in his life. C.S. Lewis put it like this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Jesus cannot be moderately important in our lives, can he? So this brings us to our third and final point in verse 45, the response. Just look down at God's word. What's it say in verse 45? And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Verse 45, in essence, summarizes Mary as we're meant to see her, as a true believer. Because that's what a believer is, what Mary has done here, what she's exhibiting. A true believer is someone who has received and trusted God's word and promises. Really, when you really study this text here, verse 45 is a beatitude. The Holy Spirit speaking through Elizabeth that Mary is blessed and happy because of what? Because she believed that God is good and gracious and faithful and sovereign to keep his word. What the angel told her is true. She could believe it. So she's blessed. And then again, how is God going to bring his promise to fulfillment? Through a child coming to the world through a woman. The fulfillment, right? That word fulfillment is right there in your text in verse 45. The fulfillment that was spoken to Mary is a continuation of all the promises in the Old Testament about the Messiah, right? And those promises, I hope you know this, those promises started back in Genesis chapter three, right? Right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. So the first promise of all the promises that would be fulfilled that is now promised to Mary, the first promise of God's plan to save his people from their sins is back in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. It says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So now here, the promise to Mary that's going to be fulfilled, the promise of the serpent crusher is going to be fulfilled through a woman. Like you see what happened in the garden and now what's happening here 
Like this is amazing, amazing stuff, right? Satan went to the woman in the garden, didn't he? Then Adam didn't do his job and we all fell. The fall happened. Sin entered the world. The curse came. And now God's saving work is going to come through a woman as God sends his son to take the curse on himself so that we can receive the blessing of his life and forgiveness. What a promise. And what a fulfillment in the way God is bringing it to pass. God's word is clear. Jesus is the yes and amen to every promise God made throughout the history of redemption. And the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 and 22, just let this like bathe over you, thinking about Jesus and the promise fulfilled. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Similar dynamic to what we've just been seeing here in Luke chapter one. And they'll look down again at the amazing verse that's verse 45. And notice, Mary isn't blessed because of what she did. She's blessed because of what she believed, right? Like we can learn a lot from Mary in this text and what we're gonna hear from our brother Eric preach next week. We can learn a lot from Mary, but we don't worship her. We worship the one she carried just like she did, right? Because it's all from grace. It's all from Jesus and through him and to him from beginning to end, right? Mary wasn't blessed because what she did. She was blessed because she believed. Mary didn't earn God's favor, just like none of us can do, right? And our lives, just like Mary's life, finds our purpose and our blessedness and joy as we entrust ourselves to Jesus Christ. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to confirm us and strengthen us. And in God's kindness, he also affirms and encourages us through other Christ followers. That's what we see right here in Luke 1. And that's the same dynamic for our life today for those who follow and trust and worship Jesus Christ. So I hope you'd agree with me. Mary's response of belief calls for a response from us too, doesn't it? Like, do you want to live a life full of blessedness and joy? And I hope you say yes to that. If you're being honest, you'd say yes to that, right? Which doesn't mean, again, that you live your best life now and you don't suffer. Because <laughs> Jesus Christ suffered. Mary suffered, right? So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking a life of real Christian blessedness and joy, right? Of robust blessedness and joy. And that's only found in entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ, just like Mary did. Because Jesus is the one, like just think about what our text is pointing us to, what it's highlighting for us. Jesus is the one who always fulfills his promises because he really is who he said he is. He's the one who came near as a baby to then live the perfect life each of us should have lived, right? His life of active obedience, 
and then to die the death each of us deserve to die for our sins. And then through that, Jesus offers us forgiveness for our sins. And then one day, Jesus, the shepherd king, is going to return at the second advent in glory to bring blessedness, which means happiness and joy everlasting for all who believe in him. So in order to have Jesus in your life, right? It's just like Mary. It only comes through believing in him. Not having sentimentality about Jesus. Not having warm feelings about Jesus. Not having nostalgia about Jesus. Not simply admiring Jesus. Not only seeing Jesus as a great moral example. The world would only be a better place if we were all more like Jesus and did what Jesus did. Maybe, yeah, but that's not what our text is calling us to. It's calling us to belief that Jesus is Lord. Because only when we really believe Jesus is who he said he is, right? Who God's word said he is, that he's the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that Jesus is Lord, right? And then when we believe that, here's one place in the New Testament that picks it up and like carries it home. Colossians 1.27 says that when we believe in Jesus like that, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, right? So as we move to a close, I just want to apply this in two different kind of ways for us. So first, for the non-Christian, if you're here and you haven't entrusted your life to Jesus Christ, we're really glad you're here. And I want to encourage you today from this text, from what God's word says, that you have to do something with the reality and the wonder of Jesus Christ. And, and maybe, maybe for you, and I'd love to talk about this with you, um, maybe for you, like you really believe like all of this was true. You're like, yeah, Mike, I wish the nativity scene, nativity scene and all of this was true. But you just haven't believed. And maybe like it feels too good to be true, right? Too much beyond belief for you to trust it. If the incarnation, right, that Jesus really came through the virgin birth, that the word of God really became flesh, if that feels too miraculous for you to believe, again, I want to encourage you, I'd say God's word is calling you to that today. Be skeptical about your skepticism of Jesus. Like if you say, I won't believe in Jesus because he can't be proven by science, I can't measure him, I can't quantify him, right? You can't believe in him because you just don't feel like you can with your limited human reasoning. I would lovingly challenge you to be honest with yourself that you believe in some kind of virgin birth in your life. It's just which one you choose to find your hope and identity in. There's this guy named Glenn Scrivener, this English guy that put it like this. He said, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus materialists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle. So friend, non-Christian, you have to choose your miracle. And only one of those miracles came to save you. Only one loves you to the degree that Jesus Christ loves you. So if you haven't believed in Jesus yet, today can be that day, right? Jesus really is as good and as glorious and gracious and beautiful as God's word says he is right here in Luke chapter one. 
And Jesus really does give you the kind of joy you've been looking for your whole life. And then lastly, for those of us who are Christians, who trust and follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A life of believing in Jesus isn't always easy, is it? I think that's what we're starting to see here, what you'd continue to see if you read through the book of Luke. We believe, and yet we cry out to God, don't we? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's the kind of belief that a Christian has. And if that's you particularly lately, I want to encourage you to entrust yourself afresh to Jesus Christ. His first arrival, the introduction we see here is really amazing. It's the greatest story ever told, and it's all true. You can bank your life on it. Jesus Christ really is who he said he is. He's the Lord and all that that means. And because that's true, we can have hope and peace and joy with God. God entered our world, right? Jesus is not unfamiliar with pain. Think of how he came into the world, what we just saw briefly today and the kind of life he's going to live and the suffering he's going to experience. So he's not far off from us. So we can trust him with our pain and our disappointment and our doubts and even in those places of unbelief, can't we? Like that's what Advent puts before us as Christ followers. What's the only way to become disenchanted from the world? What's the only cure for our unbelief? What's the true spirit of Christmas? It's believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the peace and joy of every longing heart. So I hope you'd agree with me today that we've seen from God's word in Luke chapter one, that a life of true blessing is a life that's marked by belief and joy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, you are amazing. Father, Son, and Spirit, holy, 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 three in one. We praise you for Jesus, for the glory and the wonder of the incarnation. I pray, Lord, that your work in us, thank you that it's not done, you're not done with us, that you who begin it will bring it to completion. So I pray, Father, that you will strengthen us today to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and to really trust and follow you. Lord, may we be marked by the joy of Jesus Christ as we long for him to return at the second advent. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.